this morning, uh, what I want to talk about is uh, three verses uh, from Philippians. Um, as I was putting this message together, I thought, you know, three verses, I uh, should be able to get that through that in 45 minutes. All right. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippian church, um, and the passage we're looking at uh, this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. You have that on the screen, and so we're going to read that. If you have your Bible, we're going to stick around that passage uh, for most of the time. Paul's praying for the Philippian believers, and he's saying, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This morning, uh, even as through, through the songs that we've been singing, through the testimonies that we've heard, we realize that our spiritual maturity is a goal that we have. We want to become mature Christians. There is a gap between justification, the point at which we got saved, and glorification, the point at which we get to be with Jesus. And that gap is called sanctification. It's supposed to be a process. It's not just a, you know, we're in the waiting room to heaven. Uh, some people call those retirement villages. But uh, we have this process that we're supposed to be going through. It's not just a case you have your ticket to heaven and you're waiting for the train to turn up. No, we're supposed to be doing something. And Paul's starting this letter to the Philippian church and he's saying, I pray that you may abound more and more. I pray that you would grow. If you read the, the background to the, the church at Philippi, you realize that it was already a pretty good church. This was not the, the stuff that was going on in Corinth. Philippi was supporting uh, Paul financially. Uh, they were a missionary church. They were very you know, open to the things of the Spirit. They were really going on for God. And yet Paul is saying, well, there's always more. In, math in mathematical terms... I would say that our journey with Christ is not a linear progression, but an asymptotic approach to a limit that is perfection. And if you don't understand that, we, if you don't understand that, that's right, um, go back to uh, grade 12 maths. Anyway, it's not this, if we do what we've always done, we'll get there eventually. Our spiritual maturity is something that actually takes more and more effort the closer we get to Christ. And in fact, for none of us, we will be Christ-like before he turns up. All right? We want to pursue perfection. We want to pursue maturity. But for every one of us in the room, uh, there is always more. It doesn't matter where you are on the journey. There is always a next step to take. Um, so I'm not sort of dividing the audience here, the congregation, into those who are immature, you should listen up. Those who are mature, you can check out for the next 30 minutes. I'm not saying that because we all are on a journey. Uh, Tony Evans uh, wrote a book called Kingdom Man, and I love the way he starts the book. Uh, he gives a sort of a, a description of what is a kingdom man, and he says, A kingdom man is a man who visibly demonstrates the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of his life. He goes on, a kingdom man is the kind of man that when his feet hit the floor, every morning the devil says, oh crap, he's up. Oh. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Uh, when a kingdom man steps out his door each day, heaven 
earth and hell take notice? Would you like to be that sport of person? Is that something you would aspire to? Is that something that you would say, hey, you know, if, we're, if, if heaven, earth and hell are taking notice of what I'm doing because of the, 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 the resources, the grace, the flow of the spirit that God is doing through me, wouldn't that be an awesome place to be? So I'm going to talk about six marks of spiritual maturity uh, that Paul outlines in just these few verses. Uh, And so as I'm going through, start to take an inventory, start to think about your life and your walk and where would you rate yourself uh, on each of these areas, remembering it's not an all or nothing, uh, but it's a journey, it's a progression that we have, and there is always more. So he starts in verse 9, Philippians 1 verse 9 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more. We know that in Matthew 22, Jesus said that the greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on to say in John 13 that they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Love amongst the body of Christ is a message board to the world. It's the way that we show the world that we are followers of Christ. If we're growing in Christ, then we will see ourselves both loving God more and loving others more. Now, the definition of love that I particularly like is that love is giving something of yourself for the benefit of another. Love is giving something of yourself for the benefit of another. If you're giving away somebody else's money, that's not love. If you're giving your own, that is love, okay? Um, I always uh, said when, when Matthew, our son, was growing up, he was a very generous person. And he was very generous. He was generous with my money. <laughs> it's interesting because when he had his own money, he was less generous. Funny that. Anyway, uh, so giving something of ourselves. Now, before you say, well, you know, love is an area that I struggle with. Do I have love within me? Uh, unfortunately, Romans 5.5 5 says that you have. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The love of God, if you have said yes to Christ, is already resident within you. You have the love of God for God, you have the love of God for the body of Christ, and you already have within you the love of God for the lost. Okay, all right, some of you have that. All right, however, if we want to exercise that love, we have to use an act of the will. It's not a wait for the feeling uh, to come upon us to say, you know, when I feel like it, I will actually love others, or I will love God more. Jesus said in John 13 again, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If this is a command, then it's something we can do. God is not commanding us to wait for a feeling, and then we're going to outwork that. God is telling us that we need to do this as an act of our will. When the Bible tells us in Matthew 5 that we should love our enemies, that's not a feeling. We don't look at our enemies and say, you know, I feel generous towards you. And so therefore I'm going to do something. I'm going to give something of myself. 
No, he says, love your enemies because it's an act of the will. It's not that I want to, but it's that I must. This, this love we call agape love, the, the, the Greek word there for, for, uh, for love is, is social love. It's a love that is unconditional. It's the love that God has for the world. It's, a very, it's, it's about the community, the brothers and sisters, not only in Christ, but the lost in the world. That's this outworking love that we have. It's only possible if we are obedient to God. And this love is supposed to be dynamic. It should be growing. We should be growing in our relationship not only with God and not only with other believers, but also with the lost. From the scripture, there appears to be this progression. You know, it's easy to love God because he's good. We, we, we said that a few times. God is good all the time. Uh, and all the time, God is good. And so loving God should be the easiest part of what we should do. He's done so much for us. He's given of himself. Think about that. He gave something of himself for the benefit of us. What did God have to give that was of himself? His very self, his son, Jesus Christ, was sent for us. And so God demonstrates his love for us by that. But we, so we start with loving God first, and then we should be loving the body of Christ. We should be looking at those people around us, those believers uh, who we are associated with, and we should be asking, how can I love these people? How can I love those around us? And then when we've got good enough at that, when we've practiced that a lot, which means giving ourselves over to everybody else in this room to understand what their needs are and meet those needs, then we should be able to with that practice, go out into the community and start showing the love of Christ to others. Our love should be growing. There is nobody who has reached a peak in their journey. So that's the first aspect of spiritual maturity that we need to be growing in love. The second is that we need to be growing in knowledge. Back to Philippians 1 verse 9, it says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Unfortunately, this idea of knowledge has been hijacked by the Western worldview. Okay? The Western worldview is that knowledge is a goal in itself. If I want to be knowledgeable, I just have to learn new stuff. When I graduated from university with a degree in engineering, I had acquired a certain amount of knowledge. Just enough to pass the exams, I might say. But anyway, but in actual fact, I didn't have the knowledge to be an engineer. I had an engineering degree that says I had learned all of those things, but I didn't have enough knowledge to be an engineer. In fact, in Canada, they don't even call you an engineer until you've been in the workplace for four years. They've said you've learned all this stuff, but what do you actually know? The idea is that you don't know what you know until you know how to apply what you know. Let me say that again. You don't know what you know until you know how to apply what you know. And in fact, the word that Paul uses here uh, in, uh, in Philippians 1 verse 9, epinose, is not just nose. Gnosis is knowledge. He's not just saying grow in knowledge. He says epinose, applied knowledge. In fact, the NASB says real knowledge. It translates that word real knowledge. So when we say we should be growing in knowledge, it's not learning stuff. It's not just memorizing more facts. It's not saying I know, you know the top 200 scripture memory verses and I can recite them all to you. Yes, but how many of those are you applying? 
I've often said the church would be far further ahead if we would just apply what we know already. Oh, ouch. Oh. You know, sometimes we say, you know what, I could be a better Christian, I just need to learn more. It's like, well, if you were just doing what you already know, uh, <clears throat> that would be a good start. We won't get into that. Anyway, what should we be growing in? We should be growing in the knowledge of the Scripture. Right? So we, if we really want to be able to apply something, we need to know what we have to apply in the first place. So we should be uh, growing in the knowledge of the Scriptures, but not in the sense of memorization and facts and figures or, or how much of the Bible I've read, but in the fact of what's my relationship with the author. When I come to the Scriptures and grow in the knowledge of the Scripture, I should be growing in the knowledge of the person who wrote the Scripture. We need to know God's better, and we'll talk about the next step in discernment after uh, this one. We should be growing in the knowledge of God. I like the way Simon Moitara at Vision College says, theology is a way of talking about theology when we break that down between theos and logos. It's just a word about God. That's what theology is, words about God. And so we should be growing in our knowledge of God. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He doesn't stop there, though. He says, so that you may know him better. What's the reason for getting the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Not so that we can stand up and say, hey, look how much I know. I have a PhD in theology. PhD stands for piled higher and deeper, if you don't know what that means. Anyway, he says, not just about wisdom and revelation, it's so that you may know him better. We need to get away from this idea that we pursue knowledge for knowledge's sake. We should also be abounding in the knowledge of others. In the knowledge of others, we should be learning about the people around us. What was the definition of love? I said it five minutes ago. Love is giving something of ourselves for the benefit of others. How do we know what will benefit them if we don't know them? If we don't know what their needs are, how will we know how we can help? Uh, when someone offers to help and then proceeds something you don't want them to do, they're not helping. There is a difference between helping and interfering. How would you like me to help? I'd like you to do this. Oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this. Well, that's not helping. It's not helpful to anyone. Uh, so as we grow, we need to grow in the knowledge of others so that we can extend love in an appropriate way, so that we can better serve and encourage other people. If we understand their situation, we know what we can do to show the love of Christ in that situation. And it's not just in the body of Christ. Yes, we should be knowing each other. We talk about connect groups as that community, that place where we can actually relate to one another so that we know one another, so that we can help one another. But recently we talked in the, what does that look out in the community? And it's understanding that point of need. It's understanding where people are at so that we can then step in and meet that need, so that we can help. We need to grow in that knowledge. The third area is that a mature Christian is marked by spiritual discernment. Uh, before you get all excited, uh, for the theologians in the room, I'm not talking about the 1 Corinthians 12 uh, gift of discernment. Okay, I'm talking about the uh, Philippians 1 discernment. And for those of you who don't know the difference, stay tuned. All right. 
This, this idea of discernment is emphasized twice in, this, in verses 9 and 10 in this passage that we're looking at. Uh, looking at Paul prays that the church's, would, uh, church's love would grow in knowledge and depth of insight. So that phrase, depth of insight, is the one that has been translated here, often talked about being discernment. This idea of not just uh, spiritual discernment, which is the 1 Corinthians 12, that's understanding what is going on in the heavenlies, uh, but discernment or judgment, the ability to critically examine or analyze something to see what is best. A mature Christian uses their knowledge to understand what is best. Uh, this idea in the Greek has this, it's the same word used by a metallurgist to actually, when they're examining a coin or examining an artifact, they would actually see whether it's genuine, whether it's pure, right? And it's that same word that we're supposed to use when we start to judge the things that we are doing. As we are more mature, we get to be better judges of what is good and what is not. Paul says in uh, in the Philippians chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I just talked about knowledge is about application, right? Whether you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, whatever that is, he goes on, put it into practice. Mm, there it is again. And God's peace will be with you. But how do we know what is noble, what is trustworthy, what is right, what is admirable, what is excellent? We need to train ourselves. We need to uh, take the word, the knowledge of the word that we have, the knowledge of God that we have, and we need to push that out into what we see in front of us. Uh, mature Christians test everything by the word of God. Did God really say? Was Satan's uh, uh, Satan's uh, temptation to Eve. Did God really say that? Well, we as Christians have the word of God. We can say yes or no. Did God really say? Genesis chapter 2, it says, oh, here's the words of God. God did really say. Look at that. Here it is written down. Now, Eve had to know from memory of what Adam had told her, but we have the opportunity to go back to the word of God. We can test everything. Romans 12.2 says we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? By being in the Word of God, by knowing God. Then, once our mind is renewed, we will be able to test, discern, judge, analyze, examine, and approve what God's will is, His perfect, pleasing, and uh, good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we also need, to, as mature Christians, need to test everything by what edifies, what builds up. It's not, about just, uh, it's not just about me. It's, we have to ask ourselves, is this not just sin or not? That's what the typical immature Christian asks. Is this sin or is it not? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say you can't go and watch that movie, you know. Well, therefore, it's not sin. I can go and watch it. The mature Christian says, will this build me up? Is what I'm doing today, is this relationship, is this book, is this movie, is this activity, is it going to build me up? The mature Christian goes one step further and they say, will this build others up? It's not about just me, it's about others as well. We need to get beyond the, is it right or is it wrong? We need to ask ourselves, is it edifying? The fourth one. A mature Christian is marked by spiritual integrity. 
In verse 10, it goes on in Philippians 1, it goes on to say, so that you may be able to discern, this analyze, judge what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. It's often said that the enemy of the best is the good, not evil. Okay, the enemy of the best is good. And sometimes we settle for what is good, and therefore we don't reach for the best. The enemy of the, good, of, of the best is good, not evil. Spiritual integrity is this idea of walking pure and blameless. And there's just so much in just those two words. The word there for pure, sometimes translated sincere, and this word for blameless. And so those two words worth just looking at uh, quite quickly. The word for pure or sincere actually comes from two Greek words that actually means to judge in sunlight. Okay? This whole idea of taking something out, if you want to make sure that it's genuine, you take it out where you can see it properly, where you can judge it by full light, where you can examine it closely and see if what the claims about it, are, see whether those claims are true or not. That's this idea of being sincere. Imagine that as we apply it to our Christian walk. We're supposed to be people who are sincere. We're supposed to be people who, when we step into the light, you see exactly what it is that we said we were in the first place. Now, Paul, when he uses that word pure or sincere, he's not talking about perfection. He's not saying be perfect here. He's just saying be sincere. He's talking against hypocrisy. He's talking against a mask. He's talking against pretense rather than saying we have to be perfect. We just have to be honest. Integrity says the same as I see myself on the inside is what I share with people on the outside. Now, before you, we start a queue here and people start rushing up to bring their dirty laundry and start to confess, as James tells, confess to one another uh, each of your sins. We're not going to do that. The fact is there should at least be one person in your life who knows everything there is to know about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. At least one person. Obviously that person needs to be trustworthy, and needs to be mature, and needs to be able to help you with the struggles, not just join you in them. So this word pure means, means brought into the light, judged by sunlight, and we should be very real with at least one other person, at least one other person uh, inside the body of Christ. That's what James is talking about in James chapter 5. The second word that he uses there is blameless. We should be blameless. Now, the Greek word actually carries two meanings tied up together. The Greek word means to cause, uh, sorry, to not cause to stumble and to not stumble. Right? It's all wrapped up in just this one word. It says, don't stumble, don't fall into error, don't fall into temptation, but don't cause other people to do the same thing. This is talking not only about our error, those sins or the errors that we have in our lives, but also it's talking about our freedoms. Just because I'm able to do something that God is telling you not to do, doesn't mean that I should do it in spite of you. We need to be people uh, who are conscious of the message or the, or the things that we are uh, showing other people. The Bible talks nowhere to say that drinking alcohol is a sin. Otherwise, Jesus would have sinned. We already know that's not true. But 
If drinking alcohol is going to cause somebody else to sin, then that's putting a stumbling block in front of them. Right? So be very careful with the freedoms that you have. Paul says in Romans 14, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So this idea of being blameless is keeping ourselves from falling into sin or error, but really being asking that question, is what I'm doing and what God allows me to do affecting my brother or giving the wrong message to the world? Uh, immature Christians, we often hear the question, what are my rights? What am I allowed to do according to the scripture? Uh, but that's only a question a uh, an immature Christian would ask, a mature Christian would say, would this freedom that I'm allowed to do cause anybody else to have a problem? And if that's the case, then I don't do it. Very quickly, number five, a mature Christian is marked for good works. Uh, back to Philippians 1 verse 11, we should be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness, this idea that, that the things that we have put in in those first four will have an outcome, will have an outworking. You will be able to see the fruit of those things. If we are loving people, if we are growing in knowledge, if we are discerning not only the good but what is best, uh, if we are walking pure and blameless, then those things will have a fruit. They will have an outworking in our lives. People will be able to see it. You see, we can't look at somebody's heart. I can't go around and, and judge your heart to see whether it is that you're actually doing what you say you're doing or not doing what you say you're not doing. I can't see that in your heart, but I can look at the fruit. It said, uh, the, the, the scriptures say that we're not called to judge others, but we are allowed to be fruit inspectors. What are the fruits of righteousness? What are the things that, are, that we are birthing in our lives that allow others to see that inward walk is actually sincere? Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have a list of things that we're supposed to be doing, and we should be doing those things because we're God's workmanship. The Greek word there, poema, for workmanship, is where we get the English word poem. We are God's poem. We are God's artistry. He has created us to be a beautiful message from the author. When we're doing good works, it's not just so we're trying to you know, earn points with God. We're outworking all of the stuff that's in our life. The fruit of righteousness is about taking the holiness and that holy living and that, and that walk that we have and showing the world that it actually means something to us. It's not just words. Back to that knowledge idea. It's not just about what I know. It's about what I do, what I put into practice. Uh, oftentimes it's hard to, well, I've had this conversation, you know, and this person comes to church and you're asking the question, is that, do you think they're a Christian or not? No, we're not judging, it's just fruit inspectors, right? <laughs> is there any fruit that would suggest this person is a follower of Christ would be another question. And someone said, if, you know, if Christianity would, was illegal, would the police have enough evidence to convict you? Right. 
Yes. All right. Moving on. All right. Don't stop there. Producing <laughs> mature Christians produce fruits because they abide in Christ. Remember John 15, he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The fruit of righteousness that we're talking about is through Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in Philippians. And so we need to remain in Christ so that we can bear much fruit. And the reason for bearing much fruit is the last point is that it should be glorifying God. That's the point. The point is not so that we look good. The point is that we should be glorifying God. Philippians 1.11 finishes with this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We don't want people to praise us for our walk. We want them to see what we do and point to God. John 15, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's to the Father's glory that we bear fruit. And in the same way, Matthew 5, good Sunday school verse, in the same way, let your light shine before men that, you may see your, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We saw this in the life of Christ, and a really good example in Luke 18, when Jesus goes out there and heals a blind man, it says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Now, he didn't have a little uh, theological revelation that says, oh, actually, I'm praising Jesus, who is God, and, and all of that sort of thing. No, he says he saw the work that Jesus did, and he praised God in heaven for it. And it goes on, it says, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So what Jesus does, does the miracle, and does he stand there going, well, I did the miracle, what's this all this praise God business? He said, no, that's the point. The point of the miracle was so that people would see God in action. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So those, those six things would be the marks of mature Christians. Are we more interested in glorifying God than seeing ourselves elevated in some way? Are we growing in love? Are we growing in knowledge? Are we growing in discernment, able to differentiate between the good and the best? Are we growing uh, in integrity? Is our walk uh, something that people look at and would say, judged in sunlight, it looks good. And are we producing good work? Now, there's awful, an awful lot locked into those three verses, and each one of them could have been a sermon in itself, as you no doubt probably have understood by now. Because even though I've talked really fast, I've used up all my time. <laughs> and... I just sort of mentioned that, uh, that uh, Facebook Live, uh, YouTube have a really good feature that you can use. And what you do is when you play the message, you just put it on 0.75 speed, and then you'll be able to listen at the appropriate level. All right? Okay? All right. Just in case you missed something, what I said. However, we need to realize that maturity, as I said at the start, is not a destination, but a journey. It's not a yes or no. Am I mature? Am I not mature? Um, you know, for most people, they're doing better in some areas than others. 
But we should realize that we are not alone. If we look at all of these things, it can be overwhelming because we start to judge ourselves and the devil has a field day by condemning us for those things that we're not doing. And we start to sort of say, well, I could never be like, and we compare ourselves and then all of a sudden we walk in condemnation rather than freedom. But I want to leave you with two questions that will enable you to run the race and finish strong. And these two questions are this, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Okay, God knows the journey you're on. God knows where you need to work on, what you need to work on first. And God wants to tell you that. We, we heard this morning, even as people came to the altar, is to offer themselves and surrender, to spend that time with God. God is speaking. God is telling us exactly those areas that we need to deal with, that we need to to uh, improve on, that we need to take to the next level, whatever the next level looks like for you. And God wants, he's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into those things, and he's speaking to us. So the question is, what is God saying to you personally? What is God right now saying, what do you need to do next? Because he's not interested in you thinking about the thousand things that you could be doing. He's interested in the one thing that he's asking you to do. And when you get to the point where you say, okay, God, I understand this is the one thing that you want me to do. Do it. Okay, all right. We have to do something about it. We need to, we can't just, you know, if we listen to a thousand sermons and have a thousand prophetic words spoken over us, but we choose not to do anything then we will always stay the same as where we were. They're not particularly hard questions. There's not a whole lot of theological meat that you have to go home and start unpacking. But really it's this idea that what is God saying to you and then what are you going to do about it? He gives you a hand. He's given you the resource to do it. He's given you the strength to do it. He's given you the power to do it. He's given you the ability. He's put all of that within you. But he can't do it for you. I always like to, uh, the analogy that you know, spiritual maturity is a bit like going to the gym. God's paid for our membership, paid for a personal trainer, sent us the recipe ebook for what we're supposed to be eating. <laughs> He's done it all. He's done it all. But if we never walk through the front door of the gym, it's not going to do us any good at all. And many people will look at me and say, I see what you mean. <laughs> all right. It's formula. The formula appears in the Bible over and over again. God speaks and his people respond or they don't and suffer the consequences. Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel, be careful to obey. In Joshua, he says, now this is what the God of Israel says, choose this day who you will serve. In Matthew 7, uh, the, it says, anyone who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his voice, built, built his house on the rock. Sorry, and John ten, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So, what is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it today? If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. Well, my time is up. If you want to know more, you should get into the Word. All right. 
let's pray. Are we finishing? Yes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have laid out for us this path that we need to walk on. Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything necessary to walk on it, that you lay out the steps that we're supposed to do, that you call us into maturity. Lord, I pray for every person here today, Lord, that even as you speak to their heart, as you give them the word of what they need to do, Lord, that they would not harden their hearts, but they would listen to your voice and they would follow you. They would take the love that you have deposited in their hearts and they will say that will lead to obedience in my life. Lord, I pray, Lord, against any condemnation that the enemy would want to bring. Lord, any thoughts of not being good enough because you have called all of us, Lord, right from where we are and you call us on. You encourage us in everything. You say, don't forget the past. Forget what is behind. Forget the things that you've tried and failed in before because I'm leading you into a new thing every day. Lord, we thank you that your mercies, your grace uh, is new every day and that your, your power within us is sufficient to see us move on. And even more, as we see the day of Christ approaching, would we strive forward. Lord, I pray that we will be people who finish strong, who run the race that you have laid out before us, who do the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do, and that we will be people who glorify your name amongst Uh, all the world, that they would see us as people who bring you glory. And because you deserve all our praise, all our honour, and the glory of the entire universe. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.